to my own profit taking on Wall Street, ladies and gentlemen. Today is Monday, February 6, 2023. And after what we saw on Friday with the enormous jobs report that came out, that really was eye-popping and shocking to Wall Street economists and strategists. But I have two of the best that are right here joining us today on Buy, Hold, Sell. I have Jeffrey Hirsch, Editor-in-Chief of the Stock Traders Almanac, along with Sam Stovall, Chief Investment Strategist of CFRA Research. Both of them are joining Toby and myself today. Welcome, gentlemen. So both of you have been on Buy, Hold, Sell several times over the past couple of months. And Jeff, I got to start with you because both of you have been in the press lately as with your bullish calls. But Jeff, you have this January indicator trifecta. Can you explain to the audience what that is? Well, sure. Uh, my illustrious father, Yale Hirsch, created the Santa Claus Rally and the January Barometer back in 72, appeared in the 73 Almanac. Santa Claus Rally is the last five days of the year, first two of the new year. It's an indicator, not a trading strategy, and really important when it doesn't show up. It's a short, uh, small gain, about 1.3% on average during that seven-day trading period. He came up with the line of Santa Claus should fail to call. Bears may come to broaden wall. Times when the Santa Claus rally doesn't appear. We've seen bear markets. Times you can buy stocks cheaper later in the year. January barometer is the full month barometer, both based on the S&P that Yale came up with. You've heard the phrase, as January goes, so goes the year. Again, something Yale invented. And then there's an old first five days of the year. It's been around, I don't know, since the 40s yeah. or something. All three of them carried to the stock for this almanac over the years. January has, uh, you know, this January effect everyone's talking about, which is different. That's the, the tendency of January to be up more than most months. And really, small caps outperform large caps in January. We've seen that dwindle over the years, um, especially the last couple of decades. There seems to be a little more profit-taking in January. Not this year. Uh, this year was great. Uh, we all know that. But um, back in 2013, my partner Christopher Mistel and I put all three of these indicators together into this trifecta. And the results are pretty astonishing. Um, when you hit all three of the 31 years since 1950, 28 of them are up, average 17.5% gain. The next 11 months are up. Chris ran some numbers here. I got a little sheet that uh, I got to keep quiet. Well, not quiet, but he did, you know, the trifecta years are very Versus years the trifecta didn't happen, and also years when it happened after a bear market, versus years when it happened after uh, a down year, even without a bear market. And, and the results are, I don't need to rattle off all those figures, but um, it's bullish. Uh, I know Dan Stovall has been bullish. Sometimes he and I agree on things, probably a lot more than, than, than other people do, because we do look at these seasonals. But, you know, when the year starts out strong, the market's, um, you know, usually happy and pleased with what they've heard so far. And this jobs number, I mean, how is that bad news? That's <laughs> Absolutely. Well, it is. It is. I, I completely agree with you there. Well, Sam, I got to say, because you've been in the financial press quite a lot lately because of the January barometer, and and clearly you're uh, you are bullish, and you you have some uh, high numbers. I guess you're forecasting for 2023. I doubt that has changed after that Friday jobs report. But the one thing I want to ask with everybody here on the panel is, do any of these indicators have? I mean, right now the S&P is up over seven percent this year. Was anything that bullish? Because I don't think anybody on Wall Street was predicting this. No, I don't think they were. Well, first off, uh, I'm a big fan of the Stock Traders Almanac. Uh, being a history major, I guess not a surprise that I am. I gravitate toward uh, good historical content. Uh, but uh, there are times I feel like Salieri trying to improve on a Mozart concert, uh, <laughs> and uh, sometimes you know that's going the other way. But at least I try to add some value. But I always make sure that I give credit where credit is due. I've added uh, one thought to the overall process. And that is, as goes January, so goes the year for sectors. What happens in the coming 12-month period after we have seen 
um, whatever the performance is in January. And to add one statement to uh, Jeff's trifecta, following a down year, the market was, and then followed by a trifecta, the market was up 100% of the time and was higher by 29%. Uh, but certainly, you know, the more if statements you add, uh, the fewer observations there are. So I guess you can never really say even with 100% uh, accuracy going backwards, it's not a guarantee going forward. So 4575 is still my target for the S&P 500. It's not the highest on Wall Street as some financial media think, but it certainly is optimistic. Yeah, well, no guys, doubt about that. So guys, go ahead. I, uh, yeah, I've already done my mea culpa and stuff, uh, but here, the things that strike me, uh, and I, I, I spent some time with uh, Dave Rosenberg yesterday, and I spent some time with the Fed guys that I know uh, today, and I was trying to say, hey, Fed, I'm a little confused. You have these like rules of thumb for how you get inflation down, how, how, how economics are going to work for the year, et cetera. And all the rules of thumb say, particularly after these 575,000 jobs, is that in order to get a economy that's on that type of tra trajectory, very easy for me to say, you would have we would have to have Fed fund rates at 8% to get the bite necessary to bring that down. Because in essence, irrespective of all other historical years that I have no idea about what the unemployment rates were, but I think it's fair to say it's not been often that there was 10.4 million jobs available and basically 5 million people available to work at any time in, in modern history of, of U.S. economics. And that that's the cognitive dissonance, right, that I have. I, I, I'm like, wait a minute. The We get the jobs report, market tanks 2%. We get the next, my new favorite word from Powell, that we're starting to see a, in, a you know inflation come down, or the favorite word of the year so far, a deflationary cycle has started. And the words left his mouth and every algo buyer in the world hit the buy signal. I, I hadn't seen anything like that in a long time. And it just makes me believe that we're in essence in this now thing where all the people who wanted to take the tax losses did. And there was a lot of tax losses to take, not only in bonds as well as stocks. So that got done. And I have clients that I sold, you know, uh, stuff that they own for, for years to take those tax losses. I know how it goes. And all of a sudden they had cash. The short sellers were doing great, but in order for them to make money, they have to buy the stocks back. So that created an impetus into the first part of the year. And the volume there sort of shows the shirt covering was, you know, pretty prodigious. And then we get the 575,000 jobs, which is so far away from any possible deceleration in in disinflation we're having disinflation in goods well that makes sense because you know we're not in china's opening up and we have supply chains are working blah 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 but i don't get how the market just thoroughly is snorting the rock cocaine that in october all the rate hikes are going to be done and the fed is going to be cutting rates can someone explain that to me so yeah i could probably explain it better <laughs> i don't think the market's looking at them cutting rates i think the market's looking at a pause and a stop and looking Further out in the future, I know from Sam's research that I see, they're forecasting the earnings to trough mid-year and markets anticipating mechanism, the barometer, not a thermometer, looks out 
six, eight, 12 months, yeah. depending on what it is. Uh, my, cons- my, my question with you asking about the inflation is, from what I've seen, the wage inflation, even though there's all these jobs out there, hasn't really picked up that much. There seems to be, you know, there was a, people are still aren't making as much as they should be with respect to inflation. So Sam, I don't know, why don't you straighten sure. all this out? Well, uh, okay, as goes January, uh, so goes our economist forecast in terms of the January employment data. Uh, yes, we got a substantially larger number than the street had been anticipating. But I think they breathed a sigh of relief when they saw that most of those new jobs were service-oriented, were in the leisure uh, restaurant category. And that's why the uh, inflationary indicator that goes along with it came down, or at least was lower than expected, because a lot of these jobs are not going to be your very high-paying jobs. So the trajectory of inflation, whether you look at CPI, PPI, PCE, or chain for GDP, uh, all of those continue their stair step downward. However, because of what was said by Chair Powell, uh, we've decided that actually we're going to have two additional 25 basis point increases than we had anticipated. The Fed will likely stop uh, at the Fed uh, midpoint of 5.13%. So basically between five, five and a quarter, but we're still seeing them uh, lowering rates, possibly as early as December of this year. And I remind investors that typically the Fed starts to cut interest rates an average of nine months after the last rate hike. No question. That's crazy. I, I, I just think, hold on, hold on, Toby. I just can't see that. I mean, cutting rates, you think about how quick that is. I mean, you're looking at a 10-month cycle where the Fed, even the Atlanta Fed president today even said to Bloomberg that they are anticipating further rate hikes and even greater hikes down the line because of what we saw on Friday. And he said yeah. that today. So I get that these are lower wage or lower uh, lower variety, you know, quality type of uh, wage earning jobs. But at the bottom line is, though, is that you're looking at 10 months out and Dave Rosenberg saying the same thing. In the fourth quarter, we're going to start seeing rate hikes. I, I mean, this market is going to go crazy. It's just back and forth. It's very bipolar right now. One of, the, one of the words that I keyed on when I was listening to Powell in his, in his talk afterwards, he said a couple of more hikes. I think I even texted it to my partner. I mean, he actually said two more. I mean, a couple, I, last I checked, was two, right? I mean, a few is three yeah. or whatever, but he said two more. Well, I- yeah, he's he's speaking tomorrow uh, with Dave Ru- uh, Rubenstein, yeah. and uh, they have Bloomberg has the exclusive. I'm anxious to see uh, what he has to say at that point. Well, Toby, well, what do you have? Well, I'm just, where is the, uh, t- where's this word potential recession? Um, I, I haven't heard the R word in like five days. Uh, it, it, it's, it's, it's like, all of a sudden, you go with their withdrawals there, Toby. Yeah, I'm a little bit. Yeah, I'm, I'm doing okay now, though. I got my new pills. Um, I, this is this is the conundrum I'm in, right? I told you guys I started like the day that they started raising rates in 1980, in 81, and I can I know viscerally what it's like to go to an 18 percent rate to to drop this seven percent ish inflation that was was going on, something even higher. And um, you know everybody cried and screamed, but it worked. Uh, they worked sort of better than everybody thought. They had to do it twice, as a matter of fact, uh, to make it work. We now have uh, the inflation part, you know, uh, as opposed to the disinflation part still based on on year over year housing which is uh, you know prices are coming down but on a year over year basis now it's going to take another 6 to 9 months just to get the housing number which is the, the shelter cost is the biggest part of the inflation measurement to come down to you know to start turning down to have the profile turn down um in the meantime we have earnings coming out and and frankly i mean of the 
earnings we've gotten so far, about 40% are misses. I mean, it's not like 90% of these uh, these guys are all reporting record, you know, earnings, et cetera. Um, right. But that's where the market was down last year, anticipating this. I, I, you know, yeah, I could say nine months ago, it was anticipating this, but we're not even close. If you have a recession, I mean, Rosenberg, I am in his camp there. The average, because I'm going to your historical shizzle that you do, um, the, the <laughs> average EPS is down 20% in just a slight recession. In a bigger recession, you know, it's down 30, 35%. And I just think, am, am I stuck in a time warp? Uh, you know, yeah. I mean, is, is that really what it is? <laughs> I mean, do you see a recession? I mean, you, you guys have a huge research team there. And, and you know, from uh, your connections over to S&P still, is, is there really a, a potential recession? I think we have one last year with the two negative quarters, even though it wasn't enough of an employment recession. I mean, you know, they changed the numbers back, the methodology back in COVID to sort of avoid that, um, yeah. you know, with the NBER. So what's the outlook for recession from, you know, the research on your side there? Well, well the research that I'm getting uh, basically says, you know what, there's still the possibility that we have a soft landing. Um, I mean, historically, if you've had a year on year increase in headline CPI exceeding 6%, we've always fallen into recession. If you've had a year on year decline in leading economic indicators, you fell into recession. If you had a an earnings recession more times than not, you ended up with an economic recession. And if you had an inverted yield curve as steep as we have it today, you typically end up in recession. Six uh, out of six times, right, Sam? I mean, every time we've had, we never had one, we had all three points. You uh, know what we what we just talked about with those, the same thing with the trifecta. If it's, you know, something in zero, something, oh, you got to wonder, is it going to break that streak? And the thought is that if all of this is already built in, I mean, one of the things that the market did last year was we saw a near 30% trimming in PE ratios for the S&P. Yeah. And the historical trim is 33%. So actually, you know, we came close. I, I feel that we did get away with murder uh, and that, you know, we really didn't do enough penance. So I think that probably the next bear market might end up being uh, deeper. But for what we're seeing right now, you, you really, uh, when you look at the S&P breaking above its downward trend line, when you look at the equal weight 500 RSP above 150, yeah. you know, you have breakouts uh, above well, those internals, advanced declines, new highs, new lows. I mean, all that stuff is constructive and improving. Don't be wrong for too long. There you no. go. Hey, yeah. Sam, Sam, question question for Sam. Have yeah. you ever changed your forecasts in mid-year? We actually, I probably shouldn't admit this, but we change it like every quarter. The yeah. reason, oh. no, and I'm talking about our target price because the purpose of the target price for us is more of a weather vane than it is a laser beam. Uh, it's uh, meant to offer guidance for our equity analysts to say, look, if you have a stock and you think its intrinsic value is X and therefore it's going to rise by, let's just say 20%, and our forecast is for a 10% gain in the market, it's a buy. If you think, however, it's going to be uh, flat or whatever, well, then it's probably a sell. So the S&P 500 target price uh, helps the analysts. And because they are 12-month forward-looking, after every earnings reporting period, we reevaluate our target. And it always is a rolling 12-month target. It's not simply an end-of-year target that everyone tries to uh, readjust within three days of the end of the, of the year. Yeah, Todd, you know, I, at the Almanac, our forecasts are um, percentage-based. We go, you know, 
10 to 15, 15 to 20 kind of situation. I don't pick numbers like that because we're talking about the general market, not the S&P as directly. And we forecasted a base case 15 to uh, 10 to 15 percent, about 65 percent probability when we did it in December 22nd of last year before Christmas. But a best case scenario, 15 to 20, you know, uh, about what 25 percent. And then worst case, you know, bear market and, and not much. And when we get to hit the trifecta at the end of the month, uh, end of January, and we, we looked at our February outlook, we really leaned towards that best case. And I'm even, my biggest fear is that we're not bullish enough. Like you were saying about nobody thought the year was going to be up this much and then now yeah. back in the text, we're going to bounce. So I'm concerned that I'm not bullish enough. So our our line is, you know, 15, at least 15 to 20%. I mean, we could, some of the numbers I'm looking at with NASDAQ after these, you know, bear markets and trifectas up 30%, you know, I mean, this for the whole year in, in these types of years. And hey, um, Sam, yeah. Sam on, yeah. on, on your forecast, have you ever come out with a, a strong forecast and then had a recession come during that uh, forecast period? I guess the only time that that probably would have been, yeah, certainly, well, 2008, probably okay. a good reason. I mean, when you have the uh, the S&P go into that kind of a free fall so quickly, uh, I think the market pretty much tricked a lot of investors. When we had the Bear Stearns uh, RIP, everyone thought that was the Drexel Burnham of the bear market, the Penn yeah. Central, the Continental Illinois, you know, that, that one company that ends up going under. Uh, well, no, it ended up being uh, almost six months later with Lehman. Uh, and so... No, we missed it in uh, 2008, and you know I'm. I'm what about 2020? I mean, we didn't up, get a recession, but we had the bear. No one, no yeah. one saw that coming. Yeah. No. First up, you're making yeah. me feel old, Sam. Uh, since I, <laughs> I remember talking to my Bear Stearns friends uh, who were all uh, getting rid of their desks at the time and um, moving someplace, and I said, "Well, how bad is it?" They says, "Well, um, imagine the worst scenario you could ever conjure up." and multiply it by 10. We're not close to that, obviously. That's a whole different schmozzle. But as an economy and as stocks pricing forward, I'm totally with you here. You know, I guess we get a benefit is that energy led last year, but energy is only like six to 7% of the index. So since uh, energy is down, uh, it's not really affecting. Uh, and the stuff that makes up the index is, yeah. um, and, and we're getting a pop when people fire 10,000 people. Um, well, let, you know, let's, hold, let's, let's pause that, Toby, on the sectors because I really want to talk about that in the next block. Really want to go to Sam on that subject because I know he has some some uh, some great uh, great ideas as far as how sectors perform uh, after a down year. So listen, everybody, thank you. We got the A team here at Buy Hold. So I got Jeffrey Hirsch, Sam Stovall, Tobin Smith. We want everybody to stay with us. Please stick with us. We'll be right back after the break. Greetings from Evergreen Podcasts. We're rolling out a listener survey and we want to hear from you. The information in the survey will help us gather statistics and in turn make our shows more appealing to advertisers. I know most people don't like ads, but this is one of the only ways our shows make money and help keep their lights on. We promise it will only take a few minutes, but the impact on our podcasts will be tremendous. As a token of our appreciation, we'll randomly select one lucky participant each month to win an exclusive merchandise package from Evergreen Podcasts. Head to evergreenpodcast.com slash listener survey to help a show and possibly get some free stuff for doing so. We can't thank you enough for the support. Now back to the show. Did you know that 82% of all internet traffic is video? 
At Big Wig Media, we believe that not only is video the present, it's the future. Are you looking to tell your story in a more dynamic and effective way? Big Wig is designed to be your production studio whenever you need it. Our team will give you a tour and a consultation to identify your needs and we'll make it easy for you. Big Wig works with trade associations, corporations, and nonprofit advocacy groups to provide broadcast quality content, media trainings, capture stakeholder fly ins, and hold live and virtual events. Everybody is a Big Wig at Big Wig Media. Let's tell your story. Did you know virtually all vessels traveling in the U.S. have to be American-built, owned, and crewed? That's thanks to the Jones Act, which is the bedrock of the American maritime industry. On the American Maritime Podcast, we cover the topics that matter most to the 650,000 men and women of American maritime, while also being accessible for the average listener to learn about this industry. Every episode features a new guest, including congressional leaders, senior military officials, leading policy analysts, and other experts. Come aboard and listen wherever you get your podcasts or watch on the American Maritime Partnerships YouTube channel. Welcome back, everyone, to Buy and Hold Sell. Today's market action was relatively flat. We did uh, actually have a bit of a sell-off in the NASDAQ. It looks like uh, still, though, after a five-week winning streak, things are still looking good in that tech sector. But I do want to talk about sectors right now with Sam Stovall. Sam, you have spoken about sectors on Buy, Hold, Sell before. You talked about how certain sectors do perform better than most after a down year. Are you sticking with that forecast right now, Sam? Because I know Toby, he's big on the energy sector. Maybe you could tell him whether that's a good one or not. I'm already out of the energy sector, so let's <laughs> try again. All right, we sold all this. Next. All right, Sam. All right. The floor is yours. <laughs> well, a lot of investors love to um, forecast recency. You know, they say, well, 2022 was a bad year. 2023 has got to be a bad year also. Well, that's not necessarily the case. Um, there, usually the old saying is let your winners ride, um, except after down years. Uh, historically, the S&P is up 8.9%, rises in price about 71% of the time. But the year after a down year, it's up more than 14% and has risen more than 80% of the time. And what I have found is that following up years, yes, you do want to stick with the winning sectors. Following down years, however, you want to rotate from first to worst. You get out of the defensive, healthcare, consumer staples, utilities, and believe it or not, like the fifth beetle, energy is the fourth of the best performing sectors in a down year. In that, well, but last year it was the number one uh, performing sector. You know, fifty-one percent rate. It blew everybody out of the out of the water, and and values got here, and oil prices have stayed here. So how do you how do you square that? Uh, that it did what it normally does. It outperforms during a down year. So uh, thank. Thank you for that confirmation. Well, there was this little, <laughs> there was this little invasion of Ukraine. I don't know if you got that into your teleprompter. Oh yes, yes, yes. 
<laughs> well, now, Tobin, if you had stuck with uh, energy, uh, I wouldn't have faulted you because it's trading at a 45% discount to its long-term PE ratio on forward 12-month earnings. So wow, buy it. We bought, I mean, the fact goes, we bought a ton of it April 2020, and I'm in the business of, if I made somebody a 300% return on their energy portfolio and we're going into a recession, that um, I was very happy to take those those profits. Uh, I'm 45, hold it, hold it, 45%. Percent discount right now on forward on twelve month earnings. So if you look at this, how can you not buy energy at this point? Well, Especially going into the peak summer driving season, yeah, this seems the, like a no brainer. Oil prices are headed this way. Natural gas prices are hit this way. We had this spike, and and we essentially disproportionately priced energy because we didn't know what the hell the, the Russians are going to bomb us or whatever else is going on. Now that basically we're in a stalemate. And we've changed all how oil and gas, et cetera, moves. Oh, yeah, by the way, LNG, we sent 12 years of LNG to Europe in nine months. So they have more natural gas than they know what to do with. I mean, we're in a, you know, it's a commodity. And when you have more supply than demand, prices comes down. And I, of all respect to Mr. Stovall, I mean, commodity, particular energy commodities, many times have had a completely different price action than, than you know, regular, you know, corporations. Yeah, when you're talking about the energy, you're talking about the stocks, right? like the XLE and stuff. Not well, yeah, I'm talking about the you know, the Cabots and the and the what we still own however are energy services. Energy services uh is on a is on a roll as a sector because all of a sudden now you can, you know, take these uh, 50 60 million dollar uh, drilling vessels and rent them for a year and go out and get your money back in about in a month. So that industry is very strong, but that's a niche within the niche of energy. Todd, let me uh finish the thought though uh that going from first to worst. Uh, then I got the confirmation from the Stock Traders Almanac's uh, January barometer. I remember years ago having a great conversation with Yale Hirsch uh, talking about the January barometer and, you know, maybe we can drill down into sectors and see whether that works. And sure enough, it does. If you uh, look to the, uh, uh, what is it, the, the best performing sectors in the month of January, just January alone, you buy them and hold them for the coming 12-month period wow. because you want the better capital gains tax. Uh, uh, what you find is you add 200 basis points over the S&P 500 and you beat the market by an average of uh, two out of every three times. And interestingly enough, this portfolio was up 4.8% last year while the market itself was down. Uh, wow. Because five of the 10 uh, sub-industries were in the energy yeah. sector. Yeah. But does How this apply to like ARC and Kathy Woods? ARC's up 45% in three weeks, right? Can you hear that over Tobin? Three. Yeah. Yeah. Three. Yeah. So if, you so buy three sectors, sectors. if you buy three sectors or the 10 uh, best sub-industries, sub uh, oh. then the sub-industries, so 9.3 was the market, 11.3 were the sectors, 14.7 was the 10 best sub-industries. So you. You and is, buy is and the hold. inverse true also with the ones that are the worst performing? Uh, the worst performers, uh, th they end up uh, not doing as well. Uh, certainly, they you're better off sticking with the January winners for the coming 12 month period. Ah, are right. you going to tell us which three did it this year? Yes, uh, <laughs> the three that did it this year were communication services, consumer discretionary, and real estate. Uh, technology was the third up until the last couple of days of the month. Uh, and then uh, I guess real estate stretched its neck and ended up winning. <laughs> but isn't it interesting that you know, 
home developers, real estate developers took off on January 3rd and did not look back, uh, yet the home sales numbers were going down because of, of interest rates. And to your point, Sam, that, oh my God, if, if markets really do look nine to 12 months in advance, then that perfectly explains why that we did buy some home builders out here. We bought Meritage homes that happened to be a neighbor down the street. And you have a cocktail with the CEO after the third one. And he tells you, you know what? We're getting people buying homes that we didn't think would ever buy homes here in the you know great Arizona area. And we're getting a little, you know, we're going back to like the 2004 where where the, the the waiters and waitresses are going together to buy a house to rent or their Airbnb. I mean, it's 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 not just your mom and dad's uh, residential real estate market anymore. Well, what uh, got me interested in studying the uh, sector rotation through an average economic cycle was that back in 1994, I remember talking to our then home building analyst who had a lot of his stocks ranked by. And I said, pun intended, but aren't they going to get hammered? And <laughs> well, don't boom. I'll be here all night. And his response was that, uh, well, in terms of the home builders, the, the companies are still reporting good earnings. And then in terms of the manufactured housing, he said it's more of a demographics play. They're meant for the newly wed or the nearly dead. So <laughs> I did the analysis going back in time and basically found, no, you really do want to be staying away from home builders uh, when the market anticipates a rising interest rate environment. And sure enough, while the S&P itself was down less than 10% in 94, home builders were down 30%. But once the market gets a whiff that the Fed is close to finishing and may like uh, be now. loosening, then that's why the home builders are doing well. Also, I think right now, because you, we still have such an undersupply of yeah. homes uh, that they've been able to hold up better than they normally would have. How does that relate well, to the, the old COVID issue of the uh, the apartments and, and, and office space in the you know more urban areas? I think it, I'm still seeing people you know getting out of, of, of the city. Uh, for some more space, and I'm not sure that the I mean, there's a lot of, a lot of office space here in White Plains where, where ours is. Um, I wonder if that's still the same as from what you guys are seeing, you know, in, in other cities and other urban areas. Well, New York City, um, there's just an article in Wall Street Journal today. Tom Santos is a European. No relation to George, I hope. Oh, no, no, God, no. <laughs> I'm sure he's going to he change his name. I'm sure he's going to change his name this year. And, uh, <laughs> He's been converting offices. You know, there's regulation, shockingly, in Manhattan about what you can convert and not convert. But I have an old associate that uh, down in downtown, where my apartment used to be, that they, this guy came in, took over an uh, office building completely empty. He rehabbed it, got it all done. It's completely sold out. And uh, my buddy who's down there says, I just got an offer for about, you know, 25, 40% more than I paid for it two years ago or a year ago. So there's a real business there, guys. Maybe we should just get out of this stock crap and just be freaking turning around empty office buildings because you know New York City is only going to have a you know 150,000 units that no one's ever going to go into again. Uh, that, 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 that'll be boring now. So yeah. Jeff, yeah. Your, gen, your January indicator trifecta is back tested to, to 1950. So and how I'm just curious percentage wise, I mean, when it's accurate, because you brought it up in the first block a little bit, but what percentage when that number hits, what percentage do we have? Can you get the trifecta? Here? Yeah. Ne 90% of the time, the year's up. Incredible. The next 11 months are up 83% of the time. 83%. How about that? All right. It's time to buy. That's all I'm going to say. All right. Any final thoughts from you guys before we shut down today? Super Bowl Theory says you want to have uh, the Eagles. Eagles. 
Fly, Eagles, fly. Okay. Eagles it is. We want the Eagles to win. Toby, I know you're out there in Super Bowl country right now in Arizona getting ready for this weekend. So you got to wear that uh, Kelly green for the Eagles. Well, sorry about that. I'm a, I'm a Chiefs fan. So um, <laughs> I, just, I, I, yeah. I will say that I'm going to be at uh, uh, Mr. Steinberg's party on Thursday. And uh, I'm going to assess the sobriety of the Eagles fans versus the Chiefs fans. And I think that will make a difference in it. <laughs> I just hope Eagle fans fly high. Yeah, <laughs> you just don't want one of those blowout, those blowout games where you know you're done watching in the third quarter, and um, you know you got to root for all the all the big guys in the middle. Oh my lord! Some, well, I some people around. Yeah, I'm just, I'm, I mean, you know, look at how's the ankle going to be for Mahomes? How's Kelsey's brother is going to want to try to kick his ass, you know, at being on defense <laughs> and offense? I, there's so many great stories here that uh, you, you can't stop. Also, by the way, we also, you know, not only we have the Super Bowl, we have the PGA Golf Tournament at the same time because that's how we roll out here in Phoenix. So. <laughs> That's if awesome. You need a place that's awesome. To stay, my my garage is going for five grand. I just that's <laughs> there you go. Well, <laughs> all right, guys. Listen, want to thank everybody for joining us because uh, it just was sensational. Hope I know our audience got a lot out of it. So, on behalf of Jeffrey Hirsch of the Stock Traders Almanac, Sam Stovall of CFRA Research, and Tobin Smith of Transformity Research, I am Todd Schoenberger. Thanks again. Enjoy the Super Bowl. We'll catch you next time. We'll buy, hold, sell. Take Woo-hoo. care. Cheers. Hi, my name is Sarah, and I want to tell you about my podcast called Can I Offer You Some Feedback? I'm a business consultant and executive coach with over 20 years experience in change management, leadership development, and naturally providing feedback to high performers. My podcast is for those of you who have a complicated relationship with feedback, whether giving, receiving, avoiding, or seeking. Feedback is essential for our development. In each episode, you'll hear from real people across industries with their ideas, perspectives, and best practices on feedback. I'll also be sharing business bites with you, simple explanations of organizational tools, management techniques, and leadership philosophies that will help you and your businesses thrive. You can listen to Can I Offer You Some Feedback on your favorite podcast app or learn more at evergreenpodcasts.com.